If you would open to Matthew chapter 16, we'll begin here, uh, though this will be a topical message rather than our usual exposition, uh, the study, applying a, a single paragraph specific text, the next one after the one we did the previous week, you know, as we, as we prefer to do. This is a topical message, just a Lord willing one week, and it shouldn't take anything out of context. It should stay in the context of the Scriptures, and the verses that we use still should be what they mean in context. But, and so, for that reason, sometimes it takes a little bit more work to do a topical message as opposed to uh, Jerry this morning <laughs> saying, oh, you, you can tell when you're slacking off because you don't have the verse listed on the notes page. <laughs> Uh, well, this really, this message comes from the heart of the pastoral care team, our heart for the church. And when we say the word church, there are two different aspects of that. There's the universal church. All believers for all time and all places are part of the universal church. And then there is our local church. And so we, as pastors here, this is our church family as it is yours. And so this comes from a heart of care and love for the church and for our church. And this comes from the Word of God. So let's talk about the church, this body. What's the big deal? Is it important? And why? I recently read about a pastor who had served for some years in a few different churches until he became frustrated with what he called the institutional church. He said there were just too many problems in the institutional church, and he didn't really list what they were, he just said his answer was walk away, just leave the church. And there were some pretty broad generalities of some problems he listed, but he keeps it very general because he is trying to collect as many other people like him who are dissatisfied with the institutional church as he was, and he has since started an online church, <laughs> ironically. And it's open to just about anyone and anything. But is that an option for a Christian? Just walk away from church. Maybe we should come up with a better idea than the idea of a church. Is that what the Bible would say to do? Because we're going to be seeing from the Scriptures how essential the church is to every believer, every Christian. It's a direct blessing from God to us, the local churches and the universal church, and it comes with responsibility for us, um, for us to, to be a part of. And so the Bible is very clear, as we'll see. And so it should come as no surprise then for, that for this man, his method of studying the Bible and understanding what the Bible says is not with a commitment to its clarity. And in fact, he fights ardently against the Word of God being inerrant. He doesn't see it as, as without error. And he doesn't see it as something to be understood literally. It's just symbols, and you should understand it with the meaning that you take out of it. That shouldn't be a surprise, right? So should Christians, can Christians, just walk away from church or the church? Is it all that important? Especially in the last four years, people have been doing that a lot more lately, right? They, they call themselves de-churched. Or they call themselves ex-evangelicals or deconstructionists or some people apostates, right? I mean, there are, there are a lot of things that are going on and just trying to avoid the institutional church, the establishment church, the organized church. And there are many issues to address within all of that, but for this morning, what is the error that they make when they walk away from church? And for that matter, what is the error that we make when the church becomes just a weekly chore 
on the to-do list, a weekly habit, instead of the church being one of the most important places that we can be, one of our favorite places to be. Is there a difference in the Scripture between how we view the church often today and what God says about the church? And if there's anything that we're going to see in the Scriptures, rather than a neutral position or rather than the church not being very important, it is either going to be a group of people to persecute to death or a family of God to live with in life. So what do you think about church? What do you think about the church? What do you think about our church? Because a lot of times when we look at a church and we look at the church, we look at it from the perspective of a consumer, right? These are the things that I want. Can you do these things? Can you offer these things to me? I don't like how this church does church. I like the music over there. I like the short messages over here. Uh, I like the kids program down the street. I like how friendly the church is across town so we can sort of buffet line the church, right, and, and pick certain things that we like and that uh, we appreciate. And if the church that we're going to ever happens to misstep at any point, well, I'll just take my ball and go home, right? <laughs> I'll just go find another church. And we can too often mistake the church as a place that's supposed to fit me and meet my desires, what I want. If you can't offer it to me, I'll just go find a place that can and will. Or we can also too often mistake the church as a place to go when it's convenient, when it fits me into my schedule, when it's beneficial to my desires. You know, I I go to church because I want my children to be taught how to be moral people, Um, I want to teach them about community involvement and volunteerism. I go to church because it's good for me, uh, for my well-being. The list goes on and on for the reasons that we go to church, and the list is just as long for why people don't go to church, decide not to go and skip it. Really, it comes down to there are other things that take priority for me instead of church. But what we so often miss is the way that God views the church, what Jesus thinks about the church, because of what our thoughts that get in the way, what we think gets in the way. So what does God say about the church and about our involvement in it? What are we supposed to be doing in it? Well, here's how Jesus sees the church here in Matthew chapter 16. And before we read this, let's pray together so we can get started. (laughs) Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for those who are here. Thank you, God, for those who have logged in. Lord, to to view online, Lord, that they've stayed home because of the weather, for their safety. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time, that you would guide us. Lord, for those churches that aren't able to meet, Lord, in this area, and even in other areas, God, who are faithful to you, we pray for them. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them, that you would edify them, Lord, and and God, have your will in their life and our lives. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Here's how Jesus sees the church. Matthew chapter 16, look at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you all say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, 
And on this rock, and on this rock we understand to be this truth that Peter has just stated, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Wow. That's what Jesus thinks about the church, that he is going to build it. He's going to protect it against the strongest force in the universe outside of himself. He will protect it against the gates of hell. The church belongs to him. Whose church is it? He says, I will build my church. So building the church is the self-assigned project of Jesus himself. In Acts 20, 28, you don't have to turn there, but you can if you'd like, the pastors of the church of Ephesus were given the task of paying careful attention to the church that's called the flock, the flock there, in which the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. So God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, raises up overseers, pastors, to care for, to watch over the church. But who's the church? The verse in Acts 20, 28 calls the church the flock, but then in parallel it says the church of God. The church is belonged or owned by, the church belongs to God. And so it's obtained by Jesus because he liked it a little bit, so he thought it was worth giving a little bit for it. No, that's not what it says at all. <laughs> so some of you are waiting, like, that's not what it says, there's something wrong there. Jesus liked it. He loved the church enough to give his own blood to obtain the church. At the cost of his life, Jesus obtained the church. So the, build is, the church is built and protected by Jesus. It's purchased by his own blood. In another vivid picture in Ephesians chapter 5, Christ nourishes us like he does his own body. Why? Because the church is his body. We are members of his body. He saves us. He cares for us. He builds us. He protects us. He purchases us by his blood. Is this how we see the church? Is this what we think of when we think of the word church or when we think of the universal church, all the people that, that belong to the Lord, when we think of Canyon Bible Church of Prescott Valley, do we think of this? Is the church worth anything to us? Because for Jesus, it was worth his blood it was worth his life. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Just a, 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 few, a few pages up in my Bible, maybe a few more in yours, but Ephesians chapter 2, because sometimes what we see is when we look around and we hear people talk about the church, the worst thing in the world, the worst thing they can think of is having to go to church. And sometimes you look around at the youth that we drag to church some Sundays, and, and it seems like the worst thing they can think of is... I have to go to church. Sometimes it's true of adults as well, isn't it? If you think that the worst thing that can happen is to have to go to church, here's the worst thing that can happen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Remember, therefore, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The worst thing in the world is to not be part of the church, is to not be in the church. 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, separated from Christ, strangers from the covenants, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a whole lot worse than the opposite of that, which is what it is to be in the church. To be part of the church, universal, is to be saved. To be in Christ is to be part of the universal church. So we're not going to be telling you that you must be part of our church, but to be saved in Christ, you are already part of the church, and the outworking of that, the practical life lived as part of the universal church, is in the local church. So why do we avoid it? Well, one of the biggest reasons, not the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons that people often prefer to avoid going to church is because we've done it ourselves, but we like our sin better than the church. We like what we like. We want to do what we want to do rather than what we're supposed to do. And so oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, I can't go to church. I'm too bad of a person. I can't go to church because they'll just talk about sin. They'll talk about my sin, and they'll want to talk about all that stuff, and and it's just because of hypocrisy. So if you would, turn back to Matthew, but this time, Matthew chapter 18. We'll be doing a little bit of flipping back and forth this morning. But if you think that you should be able to go to church and just live in sin throughout the week and just sin, 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 and sin some more, and that you should be able to come to church and nobody say anything to you, it's a misunderstanding of what the church is supposed to be about, why we're here, what's supposed to happen here. We're instructed to, we're commanded to help one another. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he's teaching them and us. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, and a tax collector. So one person is supposed to love you enough that when they see sin in your life, they're supposed to come and gently plead with you, please turn away from that. Don't live that way. Don't do those things because of Jesus, because of what he's done. Stop doing that. Please, I'll help you. I'm here to help you. I want to help you. And if you don't listen, if you decide to reject any of that, that person is supposed to get one other person or two other people, and they're supposed to come to you, and it's for your protection so that you don't have one person coming after you, and they just don't like you, so they're trying to pick on you. You have one or two other people that come, and they say, Yes, this charge is established. This is a real thing. Brother, stop. Sister, repent. Turn away from that sin. Love Jesus more than your sin. And if that doesn't work, they're supposed to tell it to the whole church so that all of us can come alongside you and not hypocritically beat you up, not try to put you down, not try to alienate you, but help you to come alongside you and say, look, this is sin. Stop that. Don't do that. Repent. Turn away from it. And if that doesn't work, the worst thing in the world is the last thing that happens, and that's for the church to see you as an unbeliever. Instead of part of the church, instead of a brother or sister, the church views you not as someone to hate, not as someone to exclude and to beat up on, but to evangelize. You haven't understood the gospel. If you can hold on to sin, if you can live in sin, you've not gotten what Jesus came to do and what he does in our lives. And so we need to reach out to you as a lost person and to to reach you with the gospel. 
So everybody doesn't start hating you, but it means that rather than treating you as part of the body of Christ, we treat you as someone who needs the gospel. There is a difference between somebody who is simply at church and someone who is a part of the church. They're supposed to be. To be outside the church is to be outside of God's grace as Christ builds his church. And it's outside of the blessings that are part of it and what it means to be part of the church. So if you are here at church and you've just shown up, you are welcome. You are welcome to continue coming, and we want you to keep coming, not so that we can exclude you, but so that we can bring you in through faith in Jesus Christ to become part of the church, his body, and part of our body here. And we need to tell you right up front that we are not going to be perfect, (laughs) but Jesus is. He is. We are going to, at times, be all too willing to see sin in other people's lives and not not deal with it in our own life, but we're learning, we're growing, we're learning to hate sin and to love God, and because we love God, to love other people. We're learning these things together, we're growing, we're learning to hate the sin in ourselves and what it's done to us in this world, but we're looking forward to Jesus coming back and fixing it all, and He's fixed us already, and He's going to fix us again at the end. Brothers and sisters, it is a blessing to be part of the church Jesus himself is directly involved, as we've seen. So is the Holy Spirit. So is God the Father. But this is the nearest to heaven that we're ever going to be until we get there. Do we understand? Do we, do we grasp this concept that in heaven, what are we going to be doing when we get to heaven? We're going to be worshiping God. Revelation chapter 22 says, no longer will there be anything accursed, no sin no result of sin, nothing in us that's sinful, nothing else that's there, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants, that's us, brothers and sisters, His servants will worship Him. What are we going to do in heaven? We're going to worship God and the Lamb. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or sun for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Where else besides heaven can you go for such a concentrated group of people worshiping God together? This is, this is as close to heaven as we're going to be able to find here on earth. What a blessing the church is. It's built by Jesus. It's protected by Him. He purchased us, the church, with His own blood. He cares for us like His own body because we are His body. We're here to help one another avoid sin, as we read in Matthew 18. And this is the closest to earth to to heaven that will be on earth. Wow, the church is a blessing. It's a gift from God. This is what Jesus thinks of the church. The question is, is this what we think of the church, and are you willing and able to become part of it? Now, this is not a sales package. This is not like a timeshare that you need to buy into, right? Give a little bit of money, show up occasionally, you know, do your thing, and then here's all the benefits, right? The benefits are very real. The blessings are true. But hear this first, not, are you willing to get all of this if you act now? (laughs) Are you willing to be a part of doing all of this, to be a part of the working out of this in the church? The blessings are here, but the responsibilities that come along with that. I mean, who's going to do all of those things? Trick question. Jesus is. He said he was going to build his church. But who does he use? He uses the people that make up the church. Listen, he said already the church is going to be all of those things. The church is going to do all of that. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. It's going to happen. The question is not if it's going to happen, but are you going to be a part of it? 
What does it look like? What are our responsibilities as part of these blessings that God has given in the church? Well, number one, this is probably not a surprise if you've been here for the past few years, but the first area for us to look at is worship. Worship, and and this is in particular our coming together as the church in worship. What are some of the responsibilities for us in worship? Well, A, in our notes, the first thing is to be ready. Be ready to worship. Now, churches used to be really uptight about what people wore, right? What, What you would wear to church. Oh, you can't wear that. You can't come to church like that. You've got to be put together, and you've got to be, you know, you've got to put that pretend smile on, right? And you've got to have you nicely dressed, and you've got to look just right, get, look the part. But thankfully, most of the time, when you go to a church, those standards are not there. Those, those false pretenses, those aren't there and forced on anybody anymore. So that's been a very helpful correction. But in our correction, we can swing too far and think, look, there's nothing I need to do. There's nothing I need to be ready for in worship. It's all about my comfort, my happiness, my desires, what I want. So listen to the warning of Ecclesiastes 5. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5, 1, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. He says, watch out how you enter. Pay attention to how you come in. Be careful how you go to church. The church is the house of God, Ephesians 2 says. He says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So it's better to come to church as part of worship, ready to listen, than to offer and do and speak and sing and pray and do all of the things that we do as part of our worship, however we want to, without guarding our steps, without being ready. We can actually end up doing evil rather than worship when we come to a church worship service. He continues, he says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. (laughs) Therefore, let your words be few. And later on at the end of the passage, he says, God is the one you must fear. We've got to be careful how we come to worship. We can't just stroll into the holy God of the eternal eternal God of the universe and just say, what's up? Aren't you glad I'm here? (laughs) Make me comfortable. Make me happy. As Psalm 100 says, we should come to serve the Lord. That's one of the words for worship. Come to worship to serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, giving thanks to him. Bless his name. That's how he says we're supposed to come, to come before him. Psalm 66, 18 teaches, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, if I had sin that I hadn't dealt with, I hadn't repented of, the Lord would not have listened when I cried out to him. God won't even listen to our worship. So being ready to worship means coming in, confessing our sins. It means coming in with thankfulness, with praise, with singing, and even when we don't feel like it, probably especially when we don't feel like it. Right When things are tough, when there's hard times, when we're going through just these storms in life, come in, worship the Lord. Come with singing and gladness. Come with thankfulness. And here, listen to how Solomon instructed his son in Proverbs chapter 2. He says, look, son, I've got some important things to teach you, but you need to accept them, and you need to be ready to accept them. Here's how he says this in verses 1 to 5 of Proverbs 2. He says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call 
out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We've got to make ourselves ready to hear, ready to listen. So that means, it's often been said, coming to church on Sunday is a Saturday night decision, right? What am I going to do on Saturday night? Am I going to be out until 1 o'clock in the morning so that when I get to church uh, and I'm ready to worship, I'm falling asleep? Or maybe I need to make sure that I get up in time and then I eat some breakfast and then I've confessed my sin and I've already started worshiping, singing praises to God, getting myself ready, guarding my steps when I come before the Lord. So one of our responsibilities for worship is to be ready. Be Another responsibility for us to be part of this blessing of worshiping God is to participate. Participate in the worship. Psalm 148 is the call for every living thing and non-living thing to sing praises to God, to worship God. Verse 11 says, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. All of us, we're all included. We're commanded, come and worship God. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above heaven and earth. We're to participate in worship. The things that we do in worship, like singing and giving and preaching and active listening and responding and giving, all of the things that we do as part of our worship that come from the instructions in 1 Timothy um, are, are given to us so that we will participate because worship is not a spectator sport. It's not something to come and, and observe and, and watch other people do in Christ, we're made worshipers of Him and of the true and living God. So participate. See, another, the final responsibility as part of our worship for this morning is to observe the ordinances. Observe the ordinances. What's an ordinance? Well, that's a specific command that Jesus gave us to observe, and we believe He gave us two of them. The first one is baptism. The second is the Lord's Supper. All believers, all disciples of Jesus who follow Him, are to be baptized. Matthew 28 is where he told us to make sure we do that, make disciples, baptizing them. There's no disciples who aren't baptized in, in the mind of the people of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11 that we read often every time we have the Lord's Supper, we, we read at least some of the verses from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 20, uh, 17 to 32, are some expanded instructions on how to observe the Lord's Supper. These are what Jesus has given us, and, and we're commanded to observe them, to obey them, because we're part of the body, part of His body. And remember, we've, we've talked about how we are baptized into His body. Remember that when we come together around the Lord's table, we are actively participating in communion together, in being together as the church. And all of this is a blessing to be a part of, and it's a responsibility to be a part of, but notice that you can't do either one of those by yourself. You can't baptize yourself. That's just jumping in the pool, right? <laughs> you can't partake of the Lord's Supper alone. It's a communion, koinonia, fellowship, partnership together in the Lord's table with the saints. So the worship service is participative. It, it's active. Even if we're sitting and if we're listening, even when we're standing and singing and when we're praying and all of the things that we're doing, it's not passive. It's not something to just watch or, or to, be, to witness. It's to be a part of it. And none of it can be done rightly or fully on a full-time basis virtually. 
Now, again, this morning, you know, there are things that happen where you can't make it to church or you, you can't be there or you, it's not safe to go. And that we understand that, that those things are necessary at times, but it can't be the regular practice of God's people to avoid the church, to skip going to be a part of the church. We have a responsibility to be part of the worship of God together. That's number one. Number two, second area is discipleship. What's discipleship? It's following Jesus to learn to be like him. That's, that's what we're after in discipleship. Follow Jesus to be like him for his glory. And he enables that in us when we, when we follow him, when we, when we believe in him through faith by God's grace. It's what he told us to do, to make disciples. He didn't tell us to go around making converts, right, to get notches on our belt. Hey, will you pray this five-minute prayer with me? Good, you're saved. I don't know if I'll ever see you again, but that's okay. I've got another notch, next one up. (laughs) He says, make disciples. And those disciples, when they come in, what they're supposed to do is also make disciples, right? So we make disciples who make disciples. We have not come to Jesus. We've not come to believe in him if we are not a disciple who makes disciples. What are our blessings? What are our responsibilities toward discipleship then? Well, A... The first one in our notes is fellowship. Fellowship. Part of our discipleship, part of our becoming more like Jesus is fellowship with believers. Now, you see that number 59 there. You say, what is that? That's supposed to be where Bible verses are. Well, that 59 is a stand-in for all 59 commandments in the New Testament for the one another's. All of the one another commands, there are 59. We could have put all of the verses in there. But we thought the notes book might have been a little long. <laughs> so instead, we have uh, bookmarks. As a matter of fact, I think I've still got one. We have bookmarks out in the lobby. Uh, and I think they're not at the information counter. They're in the, the, uh, the wooden case. There's a sampling of the 59 one another's on the bookmark. Take one of those. Read through those. Uh, there's a part of the other side of that bookmark says koinonia, and it talks about what, what we mean by that word koinonia, fellowship, partnership. See, being together is a crucial part of becoming more like Jesus. It happens when we're together as the church. Being on our own and studying on our own, praying by ourselves, we do that five, six days a week, seven days a week. I mean, all of our life is lived in worship, but it's just as crucial that we be together as the body of Christ to come together, to fellowship together, to become more like Jesus. It's just as crucial. The Scripture says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what Hebrews 10 says. We must be together. The church has to come together, and it can't only be for one hour and 31 minutes because, you know, he preached too long. (laughs) It can't just be an hour and a half, one day a week. Come to be part of a koinonia group, a fellowship group where we can be discipled. Come here before, if you can imagine this, come before a service starts and and get to know other people. Stay after a service ends and talk with people. There are a lot of people that stay, and it's a blessing to be a part of that. But here's more important. When you come together with Christians, be willing to confess sin instead of that fake smile, that little pretense in the, you know, oh, everything's great and fine, fine, oh, it's all good, it's fine. <laughs> you know, I'm stumbling in this, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that. 
my pride, my self-righteousness, you know, the things that I think I'm just so great at. You know, God's humbling me in these areas, and God's, will you help me, brother, sister? Confessing our sins to one another. We can't grow if we're not together, and we can't grow if we're not genuine and vulnerable and sincere and open and honest with one another. That's how the Lord works when we're together. Now, a lot of times we're too afraid to do that, right? I don't want to confess my sin to that person. I mean, what will people think of me? Brother and sister, what we think of ourselves is worthless sinners before God. Before the holy God, none of us has anything to brag about. We have a world of things to confess. So to confess to a brother or sister who is also confessing to you is not something to be worried about or to be nervous about, but to trust. And I will just speak for myself personally. If I hear about someone who has confessed and someone else hears it and they start talking about that other person or, or judging that person, I will be encouraging the confessor and confronting the gossiper or the one who's judging the one who's confessed. This is part of Christian fellowship, to, to confess, to be open, to, to look, I'm struggling. I, I'm fighting this. I'm not fighting, and I should be, (laughs) confessing these sins that we fall into. This is Christian fellowship. This is a responsibility for us, and it's a blessing. B, another blessing is to watch out. Watch out. Some of the youth that were here for camp last summer, this this sounds familiar. Some of these things sound familiar, and I would have said it more like, watch out! (laughs) And it would have woken some of them up, (laughs) as may have done for you. (laughs) But we Christians are to be awake, we're to be watchful. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 doesn't make it very muddy for us. It clears it right up. It says, be watchful. <laughs> Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. So we're supposed to watch. What are we supposed to watch for? Well, people first. Watch out for yourself. Watch out for others. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, before you go trying to remove the law, the speck out of somebody else's eye, you better get the log out of your own eye, right? We're familiar with these verses. He says, watch yourself first. But he doesn't say just watch yourself and don't worry about anybody else. He says, when you have removed the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we are supposed to watch ourselves and get the sin out of our own selves and watch ourselves clearly. But after we've done that, then we can help other people. We can go out and help the people around us. So we're to watch ourselves. We're to watch for others. Galatians 6.1 is so helpful. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, he says, lest you too be tempted. So watch out for people. Watch out for yourself. Watch out for others. And not just in sin, but in encouragement and service and love. Another responsibility is not just to watch for people, ourselves and others, but watch for false teachers. Again, in Matthew 7, a little bit later, a few verses later, Jesus says twice, you will recognize them by their fruit. But we have to beware. We have to be watching for them. We have to expect false teachers. Don't, don't suspect everybody all the time. You know, trust nobody. <laughs> but watch. Expect that that's going to happen. So watch for people. Watch for false teachers. And watch for Jesus' return. He tells us over and over to do that. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, Jesus says, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He repeats it two verses later. Therefore, you also must be ready, 
for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we have a responsibility as part of our discipleship, following Jesus and becoming more like him, to watch. Watch ourselves, watch others, watch for false teachers, watch for his return. There's another one for our our discipleship this morning, and that's C, to give and receive counsel. Give to others and receive from others counsel from the Word of God. Every believer, everyone in here who is a believer in Jesus Christ, every disciple is able to give counsel from the Word of God because our authority and our wisdom comes from the Word of God, not from ourselves, right? Can we grow in this? Yes. Do we need to? Yes. But God has given us what we need. Here's how Romans 15, 14 puts it. Paul said to the Roman believers, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Well, that can only come from the Lord. Filled with all knowledge. That comes from the Lord and his word. And able to instruct one another. And that word instruct means to counsel, to admonish, to to give counsel to one another. We're able to. And because we're able to, because God's enabled us to, he expects us to, and he's told us to. We just read the verses in Galatians and Matthew 18. You know, Jesus didn't say, you know, if you feel like it, if you really want to help out somebody, and he says, no, this is what you need to do. This is how to do it, and this is what to do. In Galatians 6, that was an imperative command. You who are spiritual, go restore that brother or sister. Now, that word spiritual doesn't mean if you think you're so spiritual. That means those who are led by the Spirit of God, which means all believers. All believers have this responsibility. It's all of our responsibility, but it's also a blessing. And listen to how James describes it in James 5. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Talk about a responsibility and a blessing, right? Whether, whether you're the wanderer or the bringer-backer, <laughs> on either side of that, it's a responsibility and such a blessing to be a part of that. Give and receive counsel. Fellowship with one another. Watch out. This is all part of how we can follow Jesus and become more like him for his glory. This is for all of us. Number three, be equipped. Be equipped. This is part of our responsibility. God gave teachers, pastors to the church for the purpose of equipping us for ministry. So what are each of our responsibilities? Well, teachers, pastors better be equipping us for ministry. That's part of my job. That's part of the job for Pastor Kyle and Pastor Joe and and Pastor John and Lord willing soon Pastor Brian. That's part of what we're here for is for you to have a ministry and for you to be equipped in your ministry. So if you're not being equipped in your ministry, it's either going to be because we haven't equipped you or because you haven't engaged in the equipping. Those are the only two options, right? Because God's already given you the gift that you need to be able to serve. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are saved from your sins. You also, by the grace of God, have a gift that he's given, that the Holy Spirit gives to you and has expected us and commanded us again to use. Romans 12 says, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Here's what he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. See, God in his grace has given us a gift, not just by saving us, but also a gift that we're to use 
to serve other people. And, and it's different in each one of us. It's in various ways, and we have different functions. So people ask, how do I know what my gift is? And we've talked about certain ways, you know, find things that you like to do and try to get involved. Um, just get involved in certain areas and, and try to serve and see if that's what God would, would use you in. Some people like the, the spiritual gift tests, but so often they're, they're um, dependent on what you feel like at the time and, and how your, your likes kind of change and they move. And so I'm not a big fan of those, but, but try different areas of service. If that's not working, here's another way. And you may not have thought about this, but think about what you consistently notice about church that you like the least. Think about the problems that you see. What is your top and most consistent complaint about the church? God has made you the kind of person to notice that, but not for the purpose of complaining. He made you to notice it, and he can make you to do something about it. Right? If we have a blind spot, if we have a trouble spot, we can't see it, and we're not fixing it, you see it. Help us fix it. Don't leave to go looking for a church that does it better so you can sit back and enjoy it. Help us fix it. If you've noticed it, other people have noticed it. And if the people that had noticed it and left had stayed, they would have helped us fix it. It wouldn't be a problem when you noticed it. <laughs> wouldn't be a problem. That's why you're here. You say, that's a, how can you say that? I mean, that's a strong statement. 1 Corinthians 12. It says, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. God brought you here. God gave you that ability to notice what's wrong, notice something that needs to be worked on. You know, what is your gift? What do you notice that needs to be worked on and fixed? He made you notice, and he made you care enough about it to notice and to say something. So now he can equip you to do something, to fix it, not to complain. You think, ah, oh, it's just a small thing. It's just a little bitty thing. It can't be that important, right? The smallest skeletal muscle in the human body is called the stapedius muscle. It's in your ear. It's, it's less than two millimeters long, the smallest skeletal muscle in our body. Can't be that important, right? It's so small, it can't matter. It's the muscle that constricts in our ear to protect our eardrum when sounds are too loud. It protects us from going uh, deaf when we hear too loud of noises. It's so tiny, so little, but so important. The things that you notice, the, the things that we can do that are so little, won't end up to be so little when we're all using our gifts to serve and to participate and to grow in our equipping in our ministries. We all know we've got busy lives. We've got families. We've got jobs. We've got things we need to do, things we want to do. Church is part of our life. It needs to be our, our life full-time, but you can't be here full-time. You can't be at the church all the time, every time it's open. So we understand all of that. But if all of us were using our God-given gifts in the ways that we could, probably nobody would have to be here full-time. We, we would all be able to, to work and to serve as we were able. What responsibilities do we have in equipping? Well, A, serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, again, it's a given, use it to serve one another as good stewards. So, brothers and sisters, what we're not talking about here is volunteerism. Because volunteerism, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is, is when a person freely offers to take part in an enterprise or undertake a task. That's not what serving in the church looks like, where you, where you freely offer to be a part of it. No, no, no. God hasn't told us to be volunteers. We've, we've been voluntold. <laughs> he tells us, 
Use this gift I've given you to serve the people in the body because of your love for them. Look for ways to be equipped in your gift. We can all develop our gifts more. Don't wait until you feel ready. You're not going to feel ready. You're never going to arrive until Jesus brings you home. Start serving. Be faithful to the Lord. We'll work on equipping you. B, walk wisely toward outsiders. What? This is our responsibility, to walk as a believer disciple, according to Colossians 4, to be equipped this way. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So you're going to need some wisdom. Where do you get wisdom? Well, James says, ask, ask God for that. We need to make sure we're using the best, uh, making the best use of the time that God gives us. Our speech, gracious and seasoned with salt. Salt brings flavor and it preserves, so we're preserving the truth in our speech and we're, we're bringing flavor and, and speaking with people full of flavor, love, so that they understand and they, and they grow. This is part of our worship. It's part of our discipleship. When we're, when we're coming and we're learning the truth and, and we're equipped in these ways, this is how we can be equipped for our ministries. So serve and walk wisely. C, learn to lead. Learn to lead. Brother and sister, everyone in here who is a follower of Christ also will be leading people to Christ. Not everybody's going to be a pastor or teacher or formal leader, but one way that Christians lead others is in leading them to the glory of God. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You're meant to lead others to glorifying God by your good works. You've got the verses there in 1 Peter 4, uh, since we're running out of time. (laughs) Um, Not to have fear of those who would cause us to suffer, but in our hearts, honoring Christ the Lord is holy, always ready to make a defense. So we're supposed to be out there projecting hope in our Lord, and they're supposed to see that, and we're supposed to be able to give the reason for that hope. The reason is the person of Jesus leading others to him. Even young people, 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul told that young pastor Timothy, don't let people despise you because of your youth. Let no one despise you, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So these are some of our responsibilities for being equipped in our ministry. Number four, to be on mission. Be on mission. All of this is part of the mission that God has given us on this earth. To, to worship, to disciple, to equip, to, to be reaching in, to be reaching out. We always have a job to do. First Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, anything and everything, do all to the glory of God. Do you ever think about eating and drinking being part of our worship? You know, praying to God and thanking Him for what He's given us, helping uh, God help us to use the energy we get as part of what you've called us to do. Um, eating and drinking is part of our, our discipling, how we fellowship together, how we grow to become more like Jesus. David even used his bed and his pillow as part of his worship in the Psalms, and you can see just him crying out to God on his, on his bed at night and flooding his bed with tears and drenching his couch with weeping. And, but he says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, in Psalm 6, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping, the Lord has heard my plea, the Lord accepts my prayer. We can worship, we can disciple, we can be equipped in every area of our life at all times when we're part of the church. We're always on mission. Do we ever get any breaks? 
Well, the Lord gives us some rest at times. He allows us to rest and take a break, but our real rest is in heaven, except that we're going to keep worshiping in heaven, right? We worship here and now. When do we stop worshiping? Never. We don't stop here, and we're not going to stop there. When can we stop uh, discipling? Well, Jesus said, go into all the world (laughs) and make disciples of all nations. So when we've reached every nation, then we can stop discipling. We can stop that part of the mission. How long should we be equipping one another for ministry? How long do we need to be equipped? He says that we can do that. We can stop when we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when we're all perfect like Jesus is, we'll stop equipping for ministry. This is how long we're supposed to do this. And it all happens in the church. It's the pastors who are supposed to be doing this, the teachers who are supposed to be doing this, equipping us in these ways. Our mission is in the church, as part of the church, even when we're not at church, to live this way, to be in this mission. We're on mission until Jesus brings us home. The question for you this morning, because we're out of time, is has your view of the church changed? Has it been refreshed? Has it been updated? There are so many blessings in the church to be part of the church benefiting from all of these things, these, these things that we've been talking about, we're, we're working to be a part of, but so are the brothers and sisters around us, and we're benefiting from that. God is being glorified by all of that. We're being edified, built up in our faith. We're being encouraged in our faith when we see one another. I've seen some of you come in chronic pain every day dealing with things that, that disable you and things that, that hurt you and things that are just so difficult to live with every day, but you come to church and you're here, and you serve, and you're faithful. It's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to the brothers and sisters who are around us. These blessings are here, but so are the responsibilities. This is what God has called us to. This is what Jesus thinks of the church. This is what we should think of the church, how we can be a part of it, how we need to be a part of it. What needs to change in your thoughts about the church? What needs to change in how you respond to the church and our church? How should you be involved? This is what God calls us to. Father, we praise you, Lord, for the blessing of Jesus. God, thank you for the blessing of Jesus, the the salvation that he's brought to us, God, that he's saved us from our sins. Lord, that he's saved us from the penalty of sin forever. God, we never have to fear hell because of Jesus. God, he saves us now from the, the power of sin in our lives. God, we don't have to fall. We don't have to run from you and your church. We don't have to run from your word and run away. God, we don't have to worry and fear and and wonder what's going to happen next. God, we have your precious promise of salvation now, God, from the power of sin over us. Father, we praise you for the salvation in Jesus, for the, God, the very presence of sin in the future. Lord, when he calls us home and we get to be with you before your throne and the throne of Jesus himself, God, we get to be there before you with nothing accursed, none of our sin any longer, no sin around us or in us. Father, we look forward to that day. Until then, God, I pray that in each one of us you would grow a love for you. Lord, teach us to love those around us. Father, help us to have less thought of ourselves, that we would consider others more important than ourselves. Lord, that we would be committed and dedicated to your people. Lord, to your great name. Lord, help us not to become legalistic. Help us not to to check boxes and fill in blanks, Lord, but God, that we would be committed to you because of love, because of fear for your great name. 
Lord, it's what you are due. It's what you are worthy of and you alone. Father, teach us and grow us. Help us because of your great name for your great glory in the name of our precious and holy Jesus, Savior, Lord. Amen.